What's up, gamers, and welcome to Lost at Sea Gaming. I am Hulking Yoda, the captain of this ship, the SS Gamer. And you have just stepped into my captain's quarters, my weekly gaming update show where I talk about my favorite gaming news topic of the week, discuss what games I've been playing, give tips on some of those games, and issue a weekly relevant gaming-related decree. This week, let's dive right into the episode with some conversation around Need for Speed and Battlefield and my news catch of the week. Gamers, this past week we learned that yet another title that was supposed to come out this year has fallen victim to that evil D word that gamers have grown very, very familiar with over the past year or so. That D word being, of course, delayed. Now this game is Need for Speed, whatever the next title in that series was going to be. And I am a huge fan of the Need for Speed franchise have been since way back in the PS1, PS2 era. And yeah, while I will admit that in the last decade, there's been less great games than there have been ah, so-so games or not that great at all games. But the bottom line is I have always stuck with the franchise and tried to support it as best as I could. Now, this newest Need for Speed, as I said, it has not been confirmed yet what type of Need for Speed game that was going to be, but it was known that Criterion, the developer most well-known for the Burnout series, is the one that was retaking the reins from Ghost Games, who EA had given control over the Need for Speed franchise for the last few entries in the series. Now, Criterion is no stranger to Need for Speed because they did do a few of their own in the early 2010s, but they since had kind of stepped away and dabbled in helping out DICE in the Battlefield games, as well as the Battlefront, Star Wars Battlefront, that is, games. And uh, recently, EA asked Criterion to put Need for Speed, the current one that's in development, on hold until next year to come in and help out DICE finish up this newest Battlefield title. Now, I'm sure what it is... There's a lot of things here that I think are at play behind the reason why EA chose to pause on Need for Speed to focus on Battlefield. First, we've had a more recent Need for Speed release since the last Battlefield. Secondly, I also feel that EA probably sees more dollar signs with the Battlefield franchise than they would with the Need for Speed franchise. Because while the Need for Speed still sells pretty well, I don't think it rocks the charts like it used to, especially back in the Need for Speed Underground days, which were my favorite, by the way. But the bottom line is, I think that they want to make sure to protect this next Battlefield entry, because gamers, if you're fans of that franchise, you've probably been on a very much up and down roller coaster of a ride with that franchise as well over the last decade or so. Now, I will say that personally, I did enjoy the very hard detour for the series, which was Battlefield Hardline. And some of you may be like, what? Seriously? And yeah, I'll be honest with you. I actually enjoyed it. Yes, aspects of the story were pretty cliche. But in the end, I love the setting of being in South Florida. And different missions, I enjoyed those. I enjoyed playing uh, as a beat cop and just doing different things that were uh, required of you mission to mission. It was just a lot of fun for me. 
Greatest game in the world? No. My favorite battlefield? Not necessarily. But I did enjoy the difference and the uniqueness of it. So again, just like Need for Speed, we know nothing about what this next Battlefield game is. Now Criterion, as I said, they've helped out in previous Battlefields and the Battlefront franchise, but it's typically been, especially with, say, Star Wars, they helped out and focused their expertise in the vehicular and space dogfighting controls and gameplay aspects of those games, and typically in Battlefield, they were more responsible for, again, the vehicular aspects of those games, i.e. the tanks, the armored trucks, those kinds of different vehicles that you will be able to use in those Battlefield games. So more than likely, I would assume that whatever portions of the game are not going so well, uh, maybe by the hands of DICE alone, uh, they could not handle it, especially with, as cited in an interview with one of the EA developers, that working from home in these COVID-19 days, it's not as easy as one might would think, especially in game development. And they actually brought up something that I thought was pretty interesting. They mentioned the fact that, you know, when people are working together and they're coming to the office and they're working neck to neck, side by side, the creative juices can sometimes flow when that's happening, when you're close and when you're in that same space with someone, as opposed to when you're just talking to someone through a Zoom call at home. It just sometimes you don't get that creative spark as much as you would if you're at work, if you're doing all this from home now. So there's a lot of things affecting the development of a lot of titles out there, but specifically here, the Battlefield title. So hopefully they do, in fact, Criterion, that is, help out DICE and get things back on track because DICE says that they are very proud of where they are with the game and are trying to do something very special with it. So my question then is, what kind of Battlefield should we expect? What, what kind of style are we getting here? Is it going to be a Battle Royale-focused entry in the series? And you know, DICE and EA are going to try to jump on that uh, hype train, I guess, if you could say that. Uh, now, I don't know why, because EA is already part of Apex Legends and that success. So for them to be jumping on that with Battlefield, I don't think is necessarily necessary. But I've seen crazier things. Uh, are we going to get yet another World War, whether it's one or two themed game? Or are we going to get a futuristic style battlefield? One set in the near future, realistic, as we've done somewhat in the past. Battlefield games, Battlefield 4 comes to mind. Or somewhere way in the future, a la Call of Duty Infinite Warfare. I have no idea. I'm very curious though. I will tell you, to be honest with you, I would actually be really interested if they did something, again, in the same kind of style as Hardline. Not the exact same where you're playing as a cop or anything like that. Just that style. Just something very different. But I highly doubt we will get that because Hardline was not very successful for them. Now, what I really would like to see, though, is if they tried to go through the different timelines and do different wars or go to different battlefields that really have not been fully explored in this kind of style of a game from a first-person perspective, whether it's as a first-person shooter or first-person melee, however you want to spin it. But I think it would be kind of cool if you went back to the time of, say, the Crusades or the Roman Empire and the different conquests and battlefields and different battles that raged on those battlefields between those eras. I think that 
going to the past, but further back than World War One and Two, I think that that would be actually really, really cool. I don't know that they would do it, though, because it's very risky. So we probably won't see that. I, more than likely, guys, I feel like we're going to get a modern-day shooter. Uh, they've seen the success with Call of Duty. Now, granted, who knows? Maybe they go to the 70s or 80s with Vietnam or the Cold War. Uh, they have not done that yet themselves. I really hope they don't. Uh, I really want something unique and different from them. But only time will tell. So that was my news catch of the week this past week. Let's go open up my captain's log and see what games I've been playing. Gamers, last week there was a major surprise for me in what I spent a decent amount of my week playing. And that was the Outriders demo. Now, if you haven't got a chance to check it out, I would definitely recommend it, especially if you are a fan of the Mass Effect series, even Gears of War style gameplay, cover-based shooters, those types of games, if they really suit your fancy, then you will definitely want to check this out. If you like co-op driven shooters, there's drop-in, drop-out co-op. But I will save all the details for my thoughts on this demo for my upcoming test sale episode where I give a very detailed hands-on impression opinion piece on the demo. So definitely uh, look for that in the next couple days. I will have that out for you guys, and hopefully you will definitely enjoy that. Maybe if you've been apprehensive of trying out the demo, uh, hopefully I will be able to help you make that decision. So the next title that I've spent the majority of my week playing is, of course, the amazing Demon Souls on PS5. And if you'll remember, if you've been listening to my show, I never played the original on PS3, so it's been a real blast to finally get around to playing this masterpiece, this classic, this revered title that started the Souls-like genre, as it were. So in my playtime this past week, I was finally able to reach my goal of getting through level 2 of World 4 to get to the slugs, the slug enemy types, that actually are very well known for doing having common drops of the sticky white gel which if you never played the Demon Souls games, basically a sticky white gel, it can imbue your weapon when used with the power of magic. So any enemies that are weak to magic attacks will get real messed up as you're using this timed effect on your weapon. Now, the only place that you could really have easier access to this was at the end of World 4 Level 2. And that's where these slugs are. There's a whole cave full of them and I actually ended up finally making it to the end of 4-2 and I was able to get nine sticky white gels so at that point I did attempt the boss at the end of 4-2 I only got a couple hits and then I was taken out pretty quickly so at this point I felt content to go and try again the whole reason I set out to do this was to take out the spider boss at the end of 2-1 because it was weak to magic. So bottom line is I felt, you know what? I've done what I set out to do. I'll come back later when I'm more powerful, have a better idea of how to approach this guy in World 4-2. So let me go back to 2-2 and see if I can take out this spider boss. Well, I was successful in that. I was able to go back. I used one sticky white gel 
and I tore that spider up. I mean, I just, man, it, it did not last, not even a full, probably two minutes before it was ripped to shreds by my battle axe. And I felt so good about being able to do that because I could only get it to about half dead the last time I was playing it and trying to take it out months ago. But I had also since leveled up my vitality, my strength, the weapons have been upgraded. I had been much improved outside of just the sticky white gel, but obviously it didn't hurt to have that on there as well. So I was very happy to finally defeat the giant spider boss at the end of 2-1 and to get into a new level and new exploration and finding out new discoveries and seeing what the new different enemy types are. It's always one of the best things, in my opinion, about Demon Souls and that I've loved about this game. And uh, I quickly made my way, somewhat I would say, through the 2-2 level, World 2, Level 2. And ultimately, I've gotten to the boss, Fire Lurker. For those of you that have not played the game or gotten to this boss yet, pretty much this Ifrit's looking, if you look at Ifrit's design from many of the Final Fantasy games, you can kind of get an idea. This giant demon-looking, uh, fiery behemoth that you end up fighting in this really cool uh, room, circular arena-type area with these giant pillars and lava everywhere. Really, really cool spectacle. And he's pretty brutal. He's got some pretty brutal attacks, and I've been really <laughs> trying uh, to get past him. I was almost successful earlier today. Uh, I got him the furthest I have so far, which is about halfway dead. And I just was, I'm barely missing it, guys. I got to get my timing down on my dodges and my blocks, and I think I'll be able to take him out. But that's where I'm at in Demon Souls. Now, the third and final game that I did put some time into this last week was yet another two hours in the amazing Yakuza Kiwami. And I got to tell you, I I just really love this game. I just I don't want to take another few years to finish it. And the reason I say that is in this two hours of playtime that I had this past week, I was able to complete chapter six in the main story. Now, if you were unaware, there are 13 chapters in the story of this game. So I am not even a full halfway through the game yet, but I've been playing it off and on for a couple of years now. So at some point, preferably sooner than later, I need to just kind of buckle down and make this my focal game and beat it because I would love to try out the new Yakuza, Like a Dragon. And yet I would even love to go to Yakuza Kiwami 2 because Graveyard Gamer from the Graveyard Gamer podcast here on Anchor, good friend of the show, he talks nothing but positive, glowing words and reviews of Kiwami 2. So I really, really want to get to that game. I just really need to sit down and, and focus on Kiwami at some point. But it was a lot of fun. I actually learned a new move in Purgatory from this old sensei that knows the old ways of the sword. But he's able to teach it to you and use those different methods of wielding a sword, but using your hands instead of a blade. And it was actually just a really cool side sub-story, as they're called, in Kiwami. And it is uh, set in Purgatory, is the name of the, the area in the game. So when you get to that point, definitely seek him out. Uh, you can actually continue to learn moves from him as you bring back the requested items that he asks of you in order to learn that next move. So really cool stuff there. 
But the best part about Kiwami, I will tell you next in my highlight of the week. So if you heard my episode last week, you'll know that this marks two weeks in a row that Yakuza Kiwami has won my highlights of the week. And this week, I got to tell you, it was another absolutely hysterical moment that only the likes of Yakuza can pull off and just absolutely have me rolling as it's happening. So here's the picture I'll paint for you. I am sitting there, I'm playing as Kiru, obviously, the main character in the game, and I'm in the middle of a mission, a main mission, and I'm going from the location that I'm at, and I'm on my way to the destination of the objective. So this is out in the streets of Kamarocho. I am walking, running, jogging to my destination, and as I come to an intersection in the streets, there is a giant man-sized Safety cone, you know, little orange cones that people put out to kind of block different areas of construction or things of that nature. So there's a giant one that's the size of a man. And bottom line is, I can see as I'm coming up towards it, that it's moving, kind of dancing around a little bit, moving forward, backwards. Obviously, it's drawing attention to itself. So I go over, of course, and press X, sure enough, to interact with it. And uh, Kiru... He, sure enough, pulls the cone back, and who else is underneath that cone but none other than Majima. And I'll just say that Majima is a recurring character throughout the Yakuza series, and he's absolutely hysterical in this game. He's uh, constantly following you and forcing you into fighting him, and uh, it's, it's just absolutely hysterical. So, sure enough... In this moment, he forces a fight on you, uh, and it was it was a lot of fun, though. Uh, but it just absolutely cracked me up and had to be my highlight of the week. Uh, through all the Demon Souls frustrations, but also the, the love of Demon Souls, even still, it, it just, Yakuza Kiwami won out yet again with laughter. Now let's go see what kind of buried treasure gaming tips I have for you in Demon Souls. Gamers, this week in Demon's Souls, my tip is not going to be for combat or a boss fight. It is going to be on farming. And farming souls, that is. Which, if you're unaware, if you haven't played a Demon's Souls game yet or a Dark Souls game, souls are the currency in those games. And the way that I'm going to tell you to do this here will net you roughly 130,000 souls in right at an hour is all it took me to reach that number. So what you're going to have to do, you're going to have to play enough, obviously, to play through and complete World 4 Level 1. And then once you get to World 4 Level 2, make sure you go into it with a ton of arrows. Stock up on tons of arrows. Make sure you have a longbow or some kind of a bow so you can use these arrows, right? Make sure it's at least leveled up once or twice so that your damage will do you know a, a decent amount. And then you're going to go and load into 4-2. And once you spawn in, you're just going to go straight ahead, drop off the side of the ledge, turn around, and walk through into the tunnel entryway. At the end of this entryway is another doorway that leads into a giant chamber. Now you're going to drop off the ledge in front of you to the ground level of the chamber. And in front of you, there's going to be a set of stairs leading upwards. 
and at the top of those stairs, in the middle, you're going to see the Reaper enemy type. And to the left and right of him are going to be two of the ghost enemy types. Well, immediately, just pull out your bow and arrow. And these guys aren't going to move until you get to, if you get, unless you get too close. So don't move. Just immediately drop down, pull out your bow and arrow, and aim for the headshot. Now, depending on the level that you have your bow up to or upgraded to, it should only take roughly four or five shots, and he's dead. Now, the plus here is the Reaper is connected to all of the ghost enemy types in the chamber. And there are a lot of them. So when you kill the Reaper, you automatically kill all the ghosts as well. And when you do this, it nets you anywhere it fluctuates, I noticed, between 3,500 and 4,000 souls. Once you do this, you get your souls, you head back up the stairs... Go right, basically retrace your steps to the spawn point at the art stone. You click on it, teleport back to the nexus, immediately teleport back into 4-2. And guess what? The enemies have respawned. You drop down a ledge, you go back to where the Reaper and the ghost enemies are, rinse and repeat. And you just do that over and over and over. And again, if you have enough arrows and you're able to obviously keep up with it with the souls you earn... Bottom line is, I earned about 130,000 souls in an hour. So if you're looking to upgrade some equipment, some of your character stats, buy a lot of arrows or other pieces of armor or items throughout the worlds that you may have already unlocked and gotten to and the different vendors that you can buy unique items from, that is the place to do it, in my opinion, so far in my experience and playtime with the game. So hopefully that will help you progress quicker and further with those tips. Now let's go check out my Captain's Decree. Gamers, this week with Need for Speed being delayed until at the earliest next year, I figured I would throw in there in this episode what I want to see from this next Need for Speed game. Now, as I said earlier in the episode, I'm a huge fan of the Underground era, and that includes Need for Speed Underground and Underground 2, There is also Need for Speed Rivals on the PSP of all consoles, and I loved all of them. Now, that culture in the early 2000s was really big. The Fast and Furious franchise was just starting out and blowing up, and me and a lot of my friends had neons under our cars and different systems and all different kinds of things that you could think about when upgrading a car or vehicle, and I was very much into this style of Need for Speed. I will also say that back in the day, during the same time frame, racing games weren't automatically open world games. So what I want to see, first off, I want to see it go back to that style, that culture of the Underground series and its vibe that it had to it. And I also want them to not maintain an open world type of exploration or design. I do want them to have a good story and continue to maintain a character and car customization as far as options. But I feel like recently they've gone more for the hot pursuit style of gameplay as opposed to just having fun with it and doing the races and different race types. You know, they're more focused in these more recent games, I feel like, on the cops chasing you down and 
being these enemies within the map. I want to go back to just, let's do some street racing. Let's have a city, yes, but let's not have it as an open world city to where we can just aimlessly drive around. I'll be honest, I feel that sometimes in those open world racers, I know I personally can tend to lose my engagement with the game when I'm just kind of driving around. Even if I'm trying to go from one race to another on the other side of the city, I, I tend to lose my focus. And then you got the boring collectibles, in my opinion. How many times have we now and how many games have we jumped through billboards as collectibles? Or as was in Need for Speed Heat, little neon flamingos that you just kind of drive into to count as a collectible pickup. I mean, come on. I just feel like we've kind of run it our course here with those styles of racing games. And I just kind of want to get back to the basics, to be honest with you. And what I mean is, let's get back to segmented tracks or track areas that have multiple tracks and different types of race types to choose from. And really get back to that feeling of mastering a track when you're playing it over and over and over because you're determined to get the gold trophy or gold medal or first place or whatever it is that the developer has put there for you to go after, the, the best time, whatever it may be. And it would be awesome, I think, that if each track has an old school arcade style racer feel to it. And what I mean by that is back in the day we had shortcuts and hidden power-ups and things like that, I think it would be awesome if every track had those shortcuts, had hidden power-ups like NOS and time extenders for timed races, maybe some warp points that you can jump ahead in a race. Also, one really big thing that I think would be cool to bring back are the cinematic triggers from environmental interactions. And what I mean is, say you drive over a certain control pad that's in the environment, it's going to open up a sewer entrance that will allow you to cut through as a shortcut. But not just simply being a shortcut. Say that they could add something in there where there's collectible items in there that you can pass through and get. And it's an extra special body kit piece. Or even if it's a special upgrade to your engine or NAS system or something of that effect. So that it's not just a shortcut. It's also you're, you're getting something for going through this shortcut as well. Now, one of my favorite things about Need for Speed Most Wanted back in the 360 era was when you're driving along and say the cops are chasing you or you're just in a really tight race, but the guy that you're racing against is right there behind you and you kind of lure them to an area where say it's a gas station or a scaffolding full of these really heavy giant metal pipes. And you know what? You lure them just enough to where you nick the supports one of the supports of the scaffolding and it comes crashing down on their car inflicting damage to the car and slowing them down allowing you to get that much further away or in the case of the cops completely taking them out now again obviously there's got to be cops in this because it makes you know for something with the street racing but at the same time i just think it would add to it if you added that environmental interaction back again i've really really missed that so let's get back to the basics ea and Criterion. I would love to see these different features in any forthcoming Need for Speed game in the future. That'll do it for this week's episode. I hope you've enjoyed your time aboard the SS Gamer. You can join its crew by searching for Hulking Yoda on Xbox Live and PlayStation Network. Reach out to me via email at lostatseagaming365 at gmail.com 
as well as find me on social media on Instagram at Lost at Sea Gaming and on Twitter at Lost at Sea, G-A-M-I-N, the number one. Thank you for listening, and until the sea says otherwise, we'll keep sailing.